Oh, Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thanks for each and every individual in this room. Thanks for everybody who got up early and is making this service happen. God, thanks for the people that are willing to come to, to K2 on Sunday mornings and hear your words and connect with other people. And God, I just pray they would be an amazing experience. God, I pray that your words would reign true in our hearts today. I pray that my words would go in one ear and out the other, God, and they, we, they wouldn't resonate, but your words would reign true in our hearts and they would motivate us to be people who are totally different. Change our worlds, Lord. So God, we give you all of us today. Open our ears and our hearts to what you want us to say. We love you so much. In your son's name, amen. All right, guys. So we're in the middle of this series called Change Your World. Actually, it's our very first week. And um, it's going to be awesome. So, <laughs> but um, Andy said last week that one life surrendered to the Lord can change the world, can change the, all of time. And he said, look at Jesus. 33 years he lived on this planet. And what happened? He changed all of eternity. He changed all of time. Our lives wouldn't be the same today without Jesus, would they? And what did he do? He made his 33 years count. And I was thinking about this morning, guys, and so many times we think that our lives don't even start until after we're 30, right? Because before that, we have to get educated and have a good time and experience life, and then we begin to live. And what did Jesus do? He said, I'm going to make every moment count. You know, we, we showed the verse last week, Mark eight thirty five. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses life for me and for the sake of the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? And he said, hey, if you really want to find your life, the only way to do that is to lose it, is to surrender it fully and totally to Jesus. And then you begin to find it. And you can look at life after life of people that go to K2 that have surrendered their life to Jesus and watch out. I'm, I'm looking at one of my good friends right in front of me. I didn't even know he was here. His name's Chad. And a couple of years ago, Andy said he was selling cars, doing life. Life was good. And he, what did he do? He surrendered his life to Jesus. And now he's in Pittsburgh, loving on inner city kids, impacting their lives every single day. And I see his story and it inspires me. And I think, I want to be a man like him. Don't you long for that, where you know that your life's counting, where you know that your life is impacting person after person after person? Our hope is that everyone in here, we wouldn't just tip to, tiptoe through life, we would full-on do cannonballs in, and we would make our lives count for something that's going to last. And so this week, guys, I started thinking, I said, man, what is it going to take for me, for me, Ryan Coley, to make my life count? And the first thing I said is, man, I have to stop being a whatever person, you know, I do whatever I feel like, whenever I feel like it, and I just do what, what feels good for me. And I have to be a person who says yes to Jesus if I'm ever going to be a person that makes my one life count. Do you hear that? I have to be a person who says yes to Jesus no matter what. And I got to tell you guys, I got to confess, I'm not a person who does that. I do it some of the time, but I fully, I don't say yes to him all the time. And today we're talking about giving to the people in need, giving to those around us who are hurting and who are broken, and who are empty, and who have nothing. And guys, I do a couple of things that I'm extremely embarrassed about. I was telling our friends at our small group the other day that sometimes I'm on my way home from work, and I work here at K2, and there's a gas station right here, Chevron, 21 South and like 3rd or 4th West. And guys, sometimes I'll purposely not go there when I need gas. Okay? I'll, I'll drive my car by, I'll take the chance of running out of gas on the highway, because I know what happens when you go there. It's happened to me like eight times. You go there, you pull in the parking lot, you're getting gas, and somebody comes up and they knock on your window or they talk to you, they're like, I need help. 
I need money for gas. I need a meal. I need a ride to the bus stop. I need something. And it's always something. And so what do I do? I'm a jerk. I purposely drive by and take the chance of running out of gas so I don't have to stop and interact with people. Guys, sometimes when I'm headed downtown, so we're headed downtown for the jazz game or for a night out to go to P.F. Chang's, the best restaurant in the world. So, but, um, guys, I'll take the cash out of my wallet, leave it at home, leave it in the car so that when people on the street see me and they say, hey, do you have any cash? I need a quarter for this or that. I can say, I don't have any cash. I don't have to be lying to them. And I'll say something stupid like, oh, you don't take credit card. I'm, I'm a jerk. I realize it. I'm admitting it right here. Or I, I swear every day it seems like somebody comes to our house and they ring our doorbell and they're asking for help. They want us to buy this thing or this candy bar or support this cause. And sometimes I don't even go to the door. Right? We pretend like we're not home. Everything's good. We're not here. We don't want to support your stinking cause. And I'm laying in bed at night or I'm watching TV and I feel like the biggest jerk. I'm like, I am so all about me. And then the statistic that I know that one out, of seven pe- one out of seven people in America goes to bed hungry every night. One out of seven. And I'll lay there and I'll feel guilty and ashamed and embarrassed. I'm like, I cannot believe this. And I work for a church. You know, it's unbelievable. I don't know if you guys would agree with me, but I hope so. We as a society are terrible at giving our lives away, at giving to the people in need. What happens is there's a few small people that get it, and they do it. They, they give their lives away, and they make them count. But we, as a general society, we're not good at it. Why? Because it's always about us. Three excuses we make all the, all the time. Number one, we say, someone else will take care of it. You know, I'm not going to help that guy with gas, because somebody else will do it. He'll figure it out on his own. We say, I'm not qualified enough. I don't know how to do this. I'm not trained. Or we say, you know what? I don't make enough money. If I had more money in my pocket, then I would do it. If I made millions of dollars, sure. But sometimes I even say, man, if I help that person out, then that gadget, that little toy I've been saving up for, I may not be able to get that. Or I can't take my family out to dinner because I'm going to help this person in turn. Or the third excuse is, we say, you know what? It's really not going to make a difference. In the grand scheme of things, it's going to make no impact at all whatsoever. And so we go on about our lives and we do our own thing. And if you think about it, we're really good at taking care of ourselves, aren't we? When we want something, we dream up ways to get it. We sell stuff on KSL. We do whatever it takes to get the item or the thing or the meal that we want. When it comes to other people, we somehow let it go in one ear and out the other. And we we all of a sudden lose track of it. And we don't care like we should. And if you think about it, we often compare ourselves to other people. Have you noticed that we always compare ourselves up? We look at people around us with a bigger house or more cars or more money, and we're like, man, I want that. I want an extra car. I want a boat. I want a bigger house or a summer condo or whatever it is. And we never compare ourselves down. Do you ever look at the people with less? You know, and you're like, oh, man, they live in a one-bedroom apartment, and they have no cars. They have to ride the tracks and the bus. And you're like, I'm so thankful for what I have. I don't do that. Do you do that? Man, I, I long to be a person that does. And so, guys, Jesus addressed this specific topic, giving. He had some very, very strong words to say about it. It's found in Matthew 6. If you, have the, if you have the scriptures with you, you can open them up. We'll have it on the screens here. But Jesus wanted to tell these people what he thought about giving. And there was one thing that he, he said that he couldn't stand, and that was that people were, do, were giving to other people only so they got recognition, only so they got noticed, only so they got credit and applause and satisfaction from other people saying, hey, you're doing the right thing. And Jesus goes on to say, would you do it? Would you give to other people if nobody knew? If nobody else had a clue as to what you're doing, would you still do it? 
So Matthew 6, verse 1, here's what he says. I'm going to read you the whole passage, a couple verses, and then we're going to talk about it. It says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in, reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the question is, what is this passage saying? If you take the first verse, he says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have your reward from the Father in heaven. And when I first read that, I was like, that contradicts what Jesus said. Because all the time Jesus was like, let your light shine before men, right? But here's what he's saying. He's saying it's all about the motive that's important. It's not the amount, it's the motive. It's what's going on inside your heart. Are you doing this to get noticed? Or are you doing it to give praise and glory to the Father in heaven? I automatically thought of the, the widow's offering. So Jesus is sitting in the temple and he's watching people give their tithes and offerings. And he sees the widow giving just two small coins. And Jesus looks at her and he says, oh, she's given more than anyone else. Why? Because her motive, her heart was right. It wasn't the amount that she gave. It was the offering and it was the heart that was behind it. And if you look up the word acts of righteousness, it means to do what was right. And so Jesus is saying to the people, he's like, hey, Guys, you got to do what's right. Don't do it to be noticed. Don't do it to get satisfaction from other people. Do it because it's right, with the right motive, with the right intent. And then he goes on to say, verse 2, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. So one thing you guys should know about, back in the, uh, back in the times of Jesus, the people knew the scriptures. Okay? They had most of the Old Testament memorized. It's like that much of their Bible, maybe a little more, three, course, three quarters of it. They had this memorized. They knew this through and through. They wouldn't just go and, and look them up. They had it memorized in their head and in their heart. And Deuteronomy 15 was one of the verses they had ingrained in their souls. It was one of them they recited at dinner with the family. Here's what it says. Deuteronomy 15 says, Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything will put your hand to do. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and the needy in your land. And so guys, they knew this. They knew that there was poor people. They knew they were supposed to do all that they could to help these guys. And so you know what they did? Jesus took it one step further. He said, you guys already know the Deuteronomy passage. I want to take it one step further. And if you look at it, Notice he says, so, when you give to the needy. He doesn't say, if. You know, a lot of times we're like, well, if I give to the needy, when I want to. But he's saying, hey, so. He's making it a command. This is the kind of people that we're supposed to be. And if you look up the word hypocrite, what he means here is an actor. And what he was talking about was an actor who wears a mask and pretends to be somebody that they're not. And so he's saying, hey, don't be like a, a hypocrite. Don't be like the Pharisees who go around wearing a mask, pretending to be generous and giving and loving, when all inside they're just saying, look at me, notice me. And then he talks about the trumpet piece. He's not talking about a, little, a literal trumpet. What he's saying is, hey, don't toot your own horn. Don't go around to the world bragging about all the good and great things that you've done. 
You know, don't make it all about you because that's what the people were doing. And Jesus had had enough. There's this guy in the 1800s. He was a pastor in England and he had this amazing quote. He said, probably the vast majority of people are more influenced by what men will say than what God Almighty thinks. Okay, Pastor Campbell Morgan, G. Campbell Morgan, 1800s in England. He says, people are more influenced by what other people say than what God Almighty th- actually thinks. You know, isn't that so true? And guys, I care more about what you guys think than what God thinks. You know, even this morning as I was, prayer, as, as I was praying and preparing for today, I was like, I want you guys to like me. I want you guys to tell me I did a good job. And I was like, Ryan, you are an idiot. Who cares what these guys think? You want God to be pleased, right? That should be our heart concern for everything that we do. Not so that our fellow man notices and gives us a high five or a handshake, but so God Almighty sees what we're doing. And he says, oh, I'm so proud and I'm so pleased. So then the next verse, verse 3 He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father, who sees what is is done in secret, will reward you. And so he's saying, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing. And again, he didn't mean that literally. What he was saying was, don't do it to get noticed. Do it in secret. If you're going to give to the needy, let somebody else deliver it for you. Deliver it in the middle of the night. Make sure the attention doesn't go at all whatsoever to you. You know, because you miss the purpose. And he says, if you can do that, then God Almighty has a reward for you. A reward, if you don't get any recognition here on this earth, then he's going to give you a reward that will blow your socks off. He says, but if you get noticed here on earth, your reward is gone. And it's kind of frustrating because you're like, oh, I missed it. If people come to find out that you did this, you've missed God's reward that he had in this. And so as a whole, in this whole Matthew 6 verse, you know, Jesus is saying, hey, people, Don't do this to get noticed. Don't do this with the wrong motive. Don't do this so that you're seen or that you're given applause. Do it in secret and give to the needy because that's what your heart desires. And do it to please the God in heaven as opposed to me here on this earth or other people. And guys, that is exactly what Jesus did with his life, wasn't it? He gave his life and he did whatever the Father wanted him to do. He could have cared less what people thought about him while he was walking around. But he did, he, his life, he seeked to only please the Lord. And whatever the Lord said to do, he said, sure, I'll do it. And for us to get there, for us to really change our world and our neighborhood and our family and our workplace, that's the kind of people that we're going to have to be. Matthew 25 says it a little bit different, but the same thing. It says, for I, wanted, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. So Jesus was in need of all these things and nobody took care of him. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? And when did we, did, when did we not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. And so what he's saying in this is that each person that we encounter is Jesus himself. That means that mean, grumpy guy at Carl's Jr. that's giving you your cheeseburger and he just is in a horrible mood, a mood and you get to interact with him, that's Christ. That means that guy at the gas station waiting so you can fill, he can, you can fill up his tank for him, or that guy that needs three bucks, or that family member that you can't stand, that person is Christ. You know, and what are we going to do? So the greatest commandment in all the world is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus does here is he connects those two. 
He says, by loving your neighbor, you're actually loving God. By doing exactly what you're supposed to do, you're fulfilling the great commandment. It's tangible love. Love that's played out like an incredible way. And so the question is, if you saw Jesus starving, if you saw him on the side of the road, what would you do? You'd do everything you could, wouldn't you? You'd give him your, your clothes, you'd give him money, you'd give him a meal, you'd engage with him. But guys, what happens when, when I often see people you know, in need? Is I don't do anything. Or I'll be walking home from dinner and I'll give them my leftover, leftover meal, my doggy bag. Or we give our, our clothes from the 1980s, right? And we feel good about it. We're like, I'm making a difference. I'm giving them my clothes because they're all the stuff I'll never wear and just rotting away in our closets. You know? Or people, we get them a meal. We've done this a hundred times where we guy, we, a homeless guy or gal is on the streets and we give them a meal. What do we, where do we take them? McDonald's. We don't take them to P.F. Chang's, right? Because they don't, they don't deserve it. They don't earn it. But if it was Jesus, what would you do? You'd get him the best steak ever, wouldn't you? You'd fry it up and it would be a bottle of wine and life would be good. But we don't give our lives away like that. We don't give to the people who need it because we don't see those people as Christ. You know, and I don't. And man, Jesus was painting this picture. He's saying, every person that you interact with, you treat them the same way that you would treat me. And that's what he longed for all of us to do. Paul says time and time again in the scriptures in the New Testament that giving not motivated, not motivated by love is worthless. It's nothing. It doesn't count for anything. Reminds me of a time a couple years ago. I was in Los Angeles. So I was with a group of 33 high school students. And we were in downtown Los Angeles and we were doing a mission trip. And we were taking these students around and we were experiencing the city of Los Angeles. And so it was good. And so we split the group up into groups of four or five different people. And we'd walk around and we'd learn all about the city. And so my group, we went up to the, we're in downtown Los Angeles. We're right next to Skid Row. If you guys know where that's at. If you've seen the movie, The Soloist, has anybody seen it? Jamie Foxx movie? Several, no, not several, me and you. But um, if you see see the movie, The Soloist, it's a great movie. It takes place right in downtown Los Angeles. Um, Heartbreaking. But um, we're walking around and we figure out, all right, let's go check out this city. Skid Row is one of the poorest places in the country. Okay, here's how bad it gets. In, in a given hour, there's child prostitution, drug deals, shots fired. The police come once a year and they blow a whistle and they take a bulldozer and they clean up all the trash, all the needles, everything. And they just clean it up and then leave. And that's one of the only times the police go there a year. You know, it's unbelievable. So sad. Two streets over, super, super wealthy area. It's where the president stays when he goes to Los Angeles. The Disney Philharmonic. We have the picture right here. Uh, it is right there. $250 million for this building. You guys have probably seen it in commercials and movies. $250 million, two streets over, the poorest places in our country. I mean, you're just sitting there and you're like, this is unbelievable. Our students are weeping and they're crying. They're like, this just isn't right, is it? And so we go up to this apartment complex and we said, all right, how much is a one-bedroom apartment in downtown LA? Guess how much? How much do you think a, a, an apartment would be? One bedroom, not that nice, downtown Los Angeles. $2,000 a month. And this was several years ago. Who knows what it is now? I mean, this is a place that I wouldn't want to raise my little girl in. You know, but it was $2,000 a month. So we're walking the city. We're heartbroken. And so we walk by the courthouse. And so we're walking by the courthouse, and I see this marble bench. So this marble bench, we have a picture of it. There's a man sleeping on the marble bench. And I'm like, dude, that cannot be comfortable. You know, you've seen the commercials for the sleep number beds. I was like... That would, I don't want to sleep on that thing. And so I, I get a nudge in my heart to go talk to this guy. And I go up to him, I'm like, dude, what are you doing sleeping on the marble bench? 
He says, hi, my name's Raymond. I've been out here five and a half months. It's like five and a half months sleeping on a marble bench. He's like, yep. I was like, what in the world are you doing, dude? You know, what is making you do this? And he said, I've been kicked out of my house since 1983. He's been living on the streets. Okay, I'm heartbroken. this time. I'm like, oh, since 1983? He's like, yeah, I haven't had a warm place to, to lay my head. No hot shower, no hot meal. It's really been tough. He said, I have a shopping cart. You can see it in the back of the picture a little bit. I have a shopping cart. I keep all of my belongings in. And apparently it's illegal to have a shopping cart in Los Angeles. And so the police officers go around and they give you a ticket if you have a shopping cart. And so he said he racked up like 20 different tickets, you know, between $25 and $50 a piece for having a shopping cart. And so the police officers would come and Raymond would be like, take me to jail. He's like, take me to jail. I want to go. I'll get a meal. I'll get to watch cable TV. You know, I'll get to lay my head on a bed. Please take me. And the police officers would just laugh, give him another ticket and go on about their business. And so Raymond said it was getting wintertime, it was getting cold, he was hungry, he didn't know what to do. So he took his shopping cart and ran it through the window of a local check-and-go, a little uh, cash money place, you know, where you get, you get the money uh, before your paycheck comes. And so, the, of course, the alarm goes off, the police come, and what is Raymond doing? He's waiting there. He's like, take, take me to jail. So the, they took him to jail. True story. So the, they took him to jail, he's in jail, he's getting his hot shower, his warm meal, his bed, and he's watching cable TV. And he sees the mayor come on television. And the mayor says to the people of Los Angeles, Via Grossa is his name, he says, we have $250 million we want to spend on relocating the homeless from downtown Los Angeles into a place where they can get education and jobs and affordable housing. And Raymond is ecstatic. He's like, sign me up. And so the second he gets out of jail, guess where he goes? The courthouse. He's been waiting five and a half months, okay, to get on this bill, to get his name on the list so that he can get affordable housing, get a job, get a second chance. And he said, Ryan, he said, nobody will help me. I go and I wait for the mayor. I do all that I can. And it won't happen. We have a picture of Raymond in my group. So this is actually him. I think you guys will like this. See him? Good looking guy. So, um, so, so there's Raymond. And so he's been waiting five and a half months. And so I'm sitting there with my team and I'm like, guys, this is so wrong. What can we do? And one of the guys, a high school student, they're, they're brave. You, know, you have to watch out when you ask them what to do sometimes because they'll have stuff that's out of the ordinary or way unrealistic sometimes, which is absolutely incredible. They said, let's go talk to the mayor. I said, all right, let's go talk to the mayor. So we walk into the courthouse. Okay, and they said, what are you here for? I was like, we're here to meet with the mayor. And the guy's like, okay. And you're like, are you kidding me? You know, we're going to be able to meet with the mayor today. And so they let us in. They take us up to the third floor. We're talking to the mayor's secretary, and we're like, we're here to see the mayor. And the lady goes, unfortunately, the mayor's in Sacramento. But I can send his representative down, his top representative, and you can talk to him. I was like, perfect. So we told him all about Raymond. We told him how he's sleeping on the, court, on the, the marble bench right outside the courthouse. And the, uh, the representative wrote down Raymond's information, his name, his social security number, and he said he would hand-deliver the information to the mayor. He was going to see what he could do and see if he could get him on the list. And so our group is stoked. They're like, man, life is good. Let's go tell Raymond. He's not going to believe this. And so what happens? We go and we get Raymond a, a care package. We get him toenail clippers and water and blankets, and we load it all up in his shopping cart. You know, and we tell him, we're like, Raymond, you're not going to believe this. We talked to the mayor's representative, and I think they're going to take care of you. And guys, Raymond has tears in his eyes. And he's like, oh. He's like, nobody ever, ever, ever does what they say they're going to do. He's like, thank you. He's like, my life has been so full of empty promises. You know, people in Raymond's life had promised a lot and delivered very, very little. And we were one of those people, 
We're just giving them a second chance. We were doing our part and giving them and helping them to be the person they needed to be. You know, and I never heard from Raymond again. Tried to call the representative to figure out, did he get the place he needs? Never got a phone call back. But he said he would take care of it. And just that glimmer of hope that we saw in Raymond's eyes gave me hope to say, hey, I do have a life that can make a difference. I do have a life that can change the world one individual at a time. And that's what I dream of for us, guys. I dream of a place at K2 where we can give our lives away together, side by side. Where if people have money, you know, they help those who don't. You know, if that's a meal, if that's fixing a house, if that's a job, you know, man, let's do it. And if there's people without money, but they have other resources, if that's giving a hug or a warm meal or acceptance or love or whatever it is, where we can do this together as a community, wouldn't that be incredible for all of us to experience? That's what I dream of. And so the good news is, stuff like this is happening at K2. Stuff like this is happening all around our nation. And we want to tell you about one more place that it's happening. It's happening in downtown Denver, Colorado. And so if, you, if you're not aware, this year we had a group that was headed to Honduras. And Honduras got hit by a lot of turmoil with the government. It was, there was some crazy stuff going on. we we'll go into that later. And so our team said, we can't go to Honduras. It's not safe. We're taking little kids. And they said, all right, God, what do you have in store for us? And so Andy Marshall got on the phone, and he found this place called Socks Place. It's in Denver, Colorado. It's for homeless teens. And so um, rather than me tell you about it, we're going to tell you about one of the people from the trip is going um, to fill you in on all the details, all the good, the bad, and the ugly. So would you guys welcome Rebecca Green to the stage? So guys, this is Rebecca. Most of you guys probably recognize her. She always hands out programs in the back. Awesome gal. So Rebecca, the trip got canceled from Honduras. You were headed to Sox Place. What were you thinking? Oh, man. It was an adjustment. Um, We'd been praying for months and months to go to Honduras, but it was really clear. When the U.S. Embassy says it's not safe to travel to a country, you kind of listen. And so (laughs) it was, uh, we just opened our mind and heart to what God would do, and we heard about Sox Place, and um, we said, we're willing and available. Let's, Let's go. There's our team. That's awesome. Yeah. So tell us, what does Sox Place do? And there's a guy, Doyle, who helps run it. Doyle is the guy all the way to the right holding the baby. And uh, his name's Doyle Robinson. There he is. <laughs> um, years and years ago, uh, God laid it on his heart to reach out to homeless youth in Denver. There's a place called 16th Street Mall where there's just so many, um, every every cross-section of, of homeless youth you can imagine, whether they're runaways or just train riders or gangs or there's just everything. That's a before picture of a bathroom. i get to that in a minute. But um, he, God laid it on his heart to, in the wintertime, give socks to these kids. Just take a very basic need. They're freezing in the winter. A lot of the, especially the train riders, get hypothermia with, on their feet, you know, so... Doyle started giving out socks and just felt God laying it on his heart to love these kids, these kids who had um, really no love in their life. Um, And so they began to call him Socks. So in that culture, you have a name and then you have a street name. Well, they gave him the street name of Socks. Hmm. And uh, years later, he actually was able to open a place and start a ministry for kids to come and be safe and be loved and have a meal. And uh, they called it Socks Place. Wow. And he opened it in 2002. Cool. Yeah. What, what did it do for your heart being there? How did it change you specifically? Um, I think hearing from Doyle's heart, the way that God 
led him to be a father to the fatherless for these kids. Um, you know, it's overwhelming to think of all the kids that are homeless and um, he can't take them all in and, and be their dad and adopt them all, but he can be the one guy who loves them as a father, loves a child and be consistent in their life. And um, he just shared with us that when you're, when you're loving on people, gosh, that's an after of the pantry. You guys, I, Am I supposed to talk about the pictures? You can if you want to, yeah. Oh. (laughs) They've been in this facility for six months, and so they needed a lot of tangible help. So there's kind of two angles of of our experience there. One was how we helped this ministry tangibly, and then another is what did we learn and how did Doyle touch our hearts with what God's doing in his life. Um, But he focuses a lot on being more than doing, and that would explain the third world condition of this this facility they've been in uh, for the last six months, it used to be a brothel. And it was abandoned for years and years and years before they got it six months ago. And uh, so it was just a shambles. But because Doyle focuses so much on being, he wants to just be with these kids. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's gifted at. He's not gifted at the doing. He's not gifted at the organizing and the details and the cleaning and the, you know, (laughs) Um, that's a hall or a stairway that we... We were halfway done painting. Awesome. Um, and so he just really encouraged us. It's more about being. So be Jesus to these kids. You don't have to talk about Jesus. You don't have to go and do what you feel is, is righteous and helpful. But just be. Be Jesus. Serve these kids as if they're Jesus. Yeah. And, uh, um, so it was, it was great to be able to be a, a huge to make a huge difference physically in this place that just needed so much help, but also just to be and be with Doyle and learn from him and be with these kids and, and uh, just share with them that they have value. You know? so, so would you say Doyle's life is changing the world? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he, there was story after story after story of kids who had nobody, hmm. but who Doyle loved them. Wow. You know, these homeless kids on the streets of Denver, and they don't have anybody but Doyle. And Doyle gets to be Jesus to them. Mm-hmm. What an incredible man. And he, he doesn't get paid, right? Mm-hmm. No, he does it all volunteer. He could be out golfing, living the life. You know, but what's he doing? He's loving teenagers. Yeah. But anything else you want to share with what this means for, well, for you or Well, I just think that's a before of a, of a bathroom. Like, the upstairs had had no attention. The downstairs was where they kind of, uh, where they welcomed the teens in and the upstairs needed so much help. And um, so we did some, some scrubbing and cleaning and painting and that's what some of the pictures are. Um, but I think for K2, it was just such an obvious match. Um, Socks Place, their heart for ministry and our heart for ministry, so similar. Um, and I think, I know that God didn't, that's a before of the hallway. And then we totally scrubbed and painted that whole thing. Um, that uh, I was talking about K2 partnering with them yeah. in the future. It was a, a, a gal on our team described it the best way. She said it wasn't plan B to go to Denver. It wasn't God's plan B. It was plan A all along. Like he knew, mm. <laughs> he knew that we were thinking, we're going to go to Honduras, you know, and, and he knew, nope, you're going to go to Denver. And I've got a, a ministry that you're going to just fall in love with and be able to partner with in the future and learn from. And um, it's going to be really exciting to see what God does with wow. it, with that relationship. That's cool. Yeah. You guys give it up for Rebecca. <laughs> Thanks.
Can you grab this, Rebecca? Rebecca, can you grab this? Is that cool? So guys, one life surrendered to the Lord can change the world. That's what Doyle's is doing. And as a result of his, Rebecca's has changed. And the hundreds of other people that he's, he's loved on and impacted, and then they'll go on to do the same. And like Andy said, are we going to tiptoe around life or are we going to full on do a, cannon, a cannonball and make this baby count? You know, and I was just thinking as I was preparing for this, in 100 years, 2,109, what's going to matter? It won't matter how big our houses were, how many cars we had or what kind of car we drove, how much money was in retirement or what places we ate at or where we golfed, will it? No, it's going to matter who are the lives that we impacted and the people that we loved and the places that were changed as a result of us, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our families. That's what's going to count. So people around us, they're watching us. They're watching us to say, hey, what are they going to do with their one life? Are they going to make it count for something glorious? Or are they going to let it you know, dwindle away and make it all about themselves? And so our hope is that every person in this room says, I'm going to make my life count. My one life surrendered to God is going to change the world. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're over here and you say, you know what? My life is very focused on me. If that's you, my hope is that this year could be a turning point for you where you could find some places to get plugged into, places all around the city, places right here at K2. We have K2 Acts. We have Meals Ministry. We have Pioneer Park. We have Monday Night Life. We have the Rescue Mission. And that you guys, if this is you, that you would just find a place where you can begin to pour into, open your heart, and then do it. And you would experience the love of Jesus. And it would change you from the inside out. And maybe you're here this morning. This is me. Where you have two dual lives going on. There are times when you care about people in need and you do it all you can. And there's times where you get totally and solely focused on yourself. And my hope for you is that you would surrender all of your life to Jesus and say, all right, not just part of it, but all of it, Lord, is yours. And you would listen patiently for him to say, what is it that you, he wants you to do? And once you know the group of people he wants you to love or the place or whatever, you would just say yes. And you would do it wholeheartedly, no questions asked, just like Doyle is doing, you know, whether you get paid or not. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you're right on track. You are giving your life away on a weekly, daily basis. Then my encouragement to you is keep fighting the fight. Do not give up. Do not pitch in the towel. And what can you do to enhance it, to make it even better this next year? And so K2, imagine, imagine if every single one of us said, we're going to make these lives count. I think in 10 years, if we did this, we could make it so that one out of seven people in, 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 in Salt Lake City, there's zero out of seven that go to bed hungry every single night in Salt Lake. How cool would that be? In 10 years, we, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? We, this could be the place on the map in the whole United States where homeless people want to come because they get, they get loved on, they get cared for, they get help to find jobs you know, and educated and all that stuff. Wouldn't that be incredible? And guys, if every person in K2 said, this is going to be our mission, we could do it. Look at the 12 disciples, 12 dudes, okay? <laughs> a couple thousand years ago said, we're sold out to Jesus. We're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We are here today as a result of their lives. With all 1,200, 1,400, however many you know, we have here today, we could do it. We could change Salt Lake City. We could flip it upside down. People would be longing to be a part of this community. Band, you guys can, uh, you guys can take your places. We're almost done. And so, guys, my hope is that you would sit before Jesus this next week and even this morning, and you'd say, all right, what is it you want to break my heart for? 
What is it that I can do to be more effective for your kingdom? What is it that I can do to make my life count? And then as soon as you know it, man, grab somebody, tell them, and then go and do it. And let's be people who do that together. And so may our eyes, may our ears be open to what's really going on right here in this city. And may we know that our one life, surrender to God, will change the world. It'll change our neighborhood, our family, our workplace, ourselves. You know, and so that's what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. You guys have seen the banners all around the church. We're going to inundate you with everything that you can so to see that our one lives can count. And so let's do it together. Can I pray for us? Can I pray for me that we can do this? Jesus, we want our one lives to count. And God, we can't do it alone. We need your help tremendously and desperately. And so God, work in and through us, Lord, so that we can do this. God, help us to make these puppies count. May we cannonball into life. We're tired of living for ourselves. And so, God, we fully and totally surrender all of ourselves to you. God, we don't want to be like the hypocrites who wear masks and pretend to be somebody that they're not. And so, God, we give our lives fully and totally to you. Make it clear as to what we're supposed to be doing. We love you. In your son's name, amen. So, guys, we're going to switch. You know, we're going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to step down and we're going to worship the Lord Almighty. We're going to listen to this amazing song and have a conversation with God during it. You know, ask him, say, hey, what is it you want me to do? Who does my heart break for? You know, and also we're going to take this time to give our offering. And again, we don't give out of reluctance or bitterness or frustration or just because we're supposed to like the Pharisees. We give out of a generous heart because God has so lavishly poured into us. And so like the widow, the widow's offering who said, I'm going to give all that I can. Her motive was right. And that's my hope for me. Every time I put my offering in to say, my motive's right. I'm doing this for the right reasons. And so, man, if you want to give to a God who's generously given to you, Feel that complete freedom. We love you guys.